Well, you guys may be seated, and as you're doing so, tell somebody next to you, Merry Christmas. I know, I know. You're like, wait a minute. That's a little quick here, right? I mean, we're, it is just Thanksgiving weekend, but no, Thanksgiving is officially behind us now. So all you people who say you officially can't wait to put your tree and your lights up, we're past that moment, okay? We don't abide by that rule in my family. Uh, Natalie starts really early, so our house has been decorated for a little while now, and it's awesome. I love it. I love getting up early in the morning with coffee and being able to read my Bible and pray and have the Christmas tree lights on and the mood there just sets the tone for the rest of the day. It's, it's awesome. Um, I spent all day Saturday after the, after the rain, well, after the initial downpour that morning and got teased a little bit that the rain was done because the sun came out and I started to put all of my Christmas lights up and then like more kept coming in waves every now and then, but I did not let that deter me. All right, I finished hanging up all, I almost fell off the roof, had a total Griswold experience. I might not have been here this morning, but I survived, right? I, I told Natalie last year, I got up on one small section of the, the roof that I would never do that again, but I convinced myself this year that it wasn't as bad as I thought it was last year, and I could do it. And as soon as I got up there, I remembered why I had told myself I would never do that again, because I literally almost fell right back off the thing. But praise God I didn't. Anyway, all that to just say, I'm excited about Christmas. I hope that you are too. This place will get transformed beginning tomorrow. And this week we'll be decorating for Christmas. It'll look completely different when you show back up here. And we are starting a new Christmas um, series today that's um, um, all on the book of uh, Luke, how Dr. Luke explained uh, the birth of Jesus and introduces us to him. So we're going to be going verse by verse through Luke chapter 1 and 2 over the next several weeks. So thanks for being here today. Uh, thanks for joining us online today. And um, I, I hope and pray that you'll be here over the next several Sundays as we continue to dive into his word together. Today, we're going to look at the first several verses in chapter 1, starting in verse 1. So if you have your Bible, or a device with a Bible app on it, and you want to pull it out and follow along that way, we'll be starting in Luke chapter 1, verse 1, in just a moment. So most of you know this already, but this summer, uh, Natalie went in for what was supposed to be a fairly routine surgery and ended up being anything but that. We were told initially that this was no big deal, that she should expect maybe a three or four day recovery, and that she'd pretty much be back to normal after that time. And so that's the mindset that, of course, we went into the surgery, but we, when she came out of surgery, like I said, it was anything but that. She was in a tremendous amount of pain. In all honesty, I've never seen in 20 years of marriage uh, Natalie just bury her face into a pillow and cry and wail because she was in pain, but that's where she was at. She was just in that much discomfort and that much pain, and it was hard to watch. I know it was hard for her to experience. It was brutal. It was, it was awful. Uh, we ended up back in the hospital three or four days later. We stayed there for another three days, only for them to not really be able to, to, be able to figure out what was even causing the pain. And they just sent us home, and she was still in pain. And it was hard, and there was discomfort, and there were no real answers. And this just went on for weeks, week after week after week 
She had signed up to be teaching here at King's Academy. She taught last year and had planned on going back and felt like it was her duty to go back. And so she attempted that and tried to go back to teaching. But that was so hard because she was still in a lot of pain. This was even six to eight weeks after the surgery. But she was trying to get through it in hopes that it was going to subside and it was just going to go away. And she was doing everything that she could just to to get through the day and, and make it go well for the kids. She rigged up some little heating pad that she tied to her to give her some relief but every time I would go by and walk past her room and check on her I could tell by the look on her face that she was in discomfort there were administrators who were saying that kids were worried about her and noticing the look on her face and that it brought her to tears because she was in so much pain and dealing with so much stress and I remember watching her go through all of this and I remember just having so many questions I remember just thinking God where are you in all of this like why God why would you allow this to happen to her I mean, what did she ever do to deserve that, right? And, and this isn't the first time. She's had a number of different experiences, unfortunately, um, where she's had to walk through some really hard things like that. And it just leaves you in a place where you start questioning and wondering, how did we end up here? And why? And where are you, by the way, God, in all of this pain, in this suffering? You've been there. All of us have been there. We all suffer. We all experience these things. Some of you are there right now. More and more I talk to people, the more I hear from all of us that we have these discomforts, these challenges, these things we suffer with, uh, just the disappointments even in life, right? We were supposed to end up here by now in our life, and we haven't gotten wherever that is whether it's married or you are married and now it's completely unraveled and you've been divorced or you're on the verge of those things and you're going how in the world did I did we end up here maybe it's health issues and similar things that you deal with with those things maybe it's something like infertility or just uh, relational issues with family um career life goals i mean maybe you've lost someone that you love maybe that's the toughest thing that we have to go through and see sometimes is when somebody that we love and care for and we're doing life with passes away and we no longer have them here we got that phone call from uh, natalie's dad's sister that she had passed away the day after thanksgiving i mean we're with family we're hanging out we're celebrating and you get the phone call that somebody that you love and you grew up with is no longer here i mean that's not an easy phone call to take none of us want to hear that news and especially on the holidays and and that's the other thing about the holidays and thanksgiving and christmas i mean these are great and they're festive and we get up for them and there's a lot of us that that really enjoy those things but there's something about them that amplify the challenges and the struggles and the hardships even more we feel the loss of someone in our lives even more during this time we feel the disappointments in our lives even more during this time we begin to question god where are you how did i end up here and why did you let me end up here this is the reality of our lives in the world that i mean really each one of us live in from time to time and unfortunately some of you may be right now You know, the good news is that we're not alone in our struggle. Scripture doesn't even shy away from the fact of telling us about people's struggles and disappointments throughout history. And as we begin to 
dive into this Christmas message series today. We're even going to be introduced to a couple of people who experienced these exact same kinds of disappointments and struggles and who no doubt probably asked many of the same questions that you and I ask when we go through these things or maybe you're even asking right now in these moments. So look at what Luke says beginning here in his gospel. He, he first starts off just telling us why he wrote the gospel in the first place. In verse 1, he says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those from, uh, who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Now, we don't really know exactly who this guy Theophilus is. There's some debate about that. There's a lot of scholars and those who write uh, com uh, commentaries who make educated guesses about who he was, but no one can really say with certainty exactly who Theophilus was, but we do know that Luke was writing to him for the purpose of him knowing the certainty, he says, of the things that he had been taught. So apparently Theophilus knew some things about Jesus. He had been taught some things about Jesus. Most scholars even believe that he probably was a Christian, that he had put his faith and trust in Jesus. But maybe, I mean, think about that. With this particular time that Luke was writing in, Jesus had been born. He had grown up. For three years, he had done all of these miracles. He had taught all of these things, gotten all of this attention. He had gone to the cross. There was all this talk about him rising from the dead and then ascending and going back to heaven. So people are talking. People have been talking. They're sharing their personal stories or what they've heard or what they've heard someone else say to someone else to someone else that they finally heard. And maybe some of it was accurate, but a lot of it probably wasn't so accurate during that time and so there were probably people like Theophilus who heard things about Jesus heard the truth received him into their lives but then people were going now you know who Jesus really is don't you and he began to doubt began to wonder I mean that happens even in our own lives some of us put our faith and trust in Jesus and we're told who Jesus is and then all of a sudden we hear other people saying well this is who Jesus is this is how he relates to you and you go wait a minute I don't even know if I know anymore. And we begin to doubt and wrestle and struggle and ask questions. And Luke says, hey, I, I'm writing this so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Warren Wearsby uh, puts this in his Bible exposition commentary about what Luke has here. He says, the life and message of Christ were so important that many books had already been written about him, but not everything in them could be trusted. Luke wrote his gospel so that his readers might have an accurate and orderly narrative of the life, ministry, and message of Jesus Christ. Luke had carefully researched his material, interviewed eyewitnesses, and listened to those who had ministered the word. Most important, he had the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And so Luke begins his gospel just telling us why he's writing it in the first place. And so he's gathered all of this material about the life of Jesus he sits down to write, to tell us about Jesus, and he starts by not telling us about Jesus. <laughs> he actually tells us about a married couple named Zechariah and 
Elizabeth. Look what he says in verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. So he introduces Zechariah and Elizabeth to us right off the bat. And he tells us a few things about Zechariah and Elizabeth, right? That Zechariah belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. That this meant that Zechariah would have been a part of the priest from the division of Abijah. And that he was uh, going to serve in the temple during the major Jewish festivals. And a couple of times, a couple of weeks, um, a year, he would carry out kind of the daily rituals and sacrifices and participate in all that, that God had called him to do within the temple there. Um, in other words, this was a high honor. I mean, this is someone, it would have been a high honor for him, but it was also someone through the eyes of, in particular, the Jewish nation, uh, would have been seen as someone that was respected just because of his lineage, just because of who he was and what it is that he got to do. The same thing about, you know, uh, Elizabeth, even just the fact of mentioning that she was a descendant of Aaron meant that she was from a family of priests. And so when he introduces them to us, you and I, 2,000 years later, may go, that really doesn't mean anything to me. But to them and the original audience, they'd be going, oh, well, that right there is a pretty respected couple just based on their lineage there. And, and then Luke gives us even more information about them in verse 6. He says both of them, both Elizabeth and Zechariah, were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Now, that doesn't mean that Zechariah and Elizabeth were sinless. What it does mean is that they were good, moral people who were trying to be faithful to God, who were diligently doing their duties before the Lord. And so when you put both of those things together, again, as uh, Luke introduces us to Zechariah and Elizabeth, we see they're respected by other people around them because of the lineage that they have and because of how they've lived. They've tried to live righteously and faithfully to God. But look what Luke says about them. Even though they're respected people and even though they have been faithful to what the Lord has called them to. He says in verse 7, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. There's old and then there's very old. <laughs> in other words, this isn't happening for them is what he's trying to say. Now, as tough as this can be for those who are struggling with infertility, and believe me, it's tough. <laughs> it's really tough. In this culture, it was even way more tough, way more difficult. Because, I mean, listen, there were two different levels. On a, on a practical level, children were just needed for the family. All the work that had to be done in a family, ch children were needed to be able to get all the work that just had to be done in this particular day and age. That children were needed because parents got old and, as according to Luke, very old, and they needed kids to take care of them during that time. But even above and beyond just the practical side of things, it was such a big deal to them because it was seen in this culture as divine punishment. That it wasn't one of those things where God is just kind of absent. It's like God is actually punishing you for something that you've done, and that's the reason that you aren't having children. Try living with that. 
try waking up every single morning going, God, I still don't know what it is that I've done to deserve this punishment. What is it that we've done? Have we done something? Reveal it so that we can repent, so that we can turn and we can finally have kids. Can you imagine living with the weight and the guilt and the shame that was put on them by themselves and the rest of those in their community? And especially when Luke pointed out that they were even righteous and observed the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Talk about someone ever wanting to ask the question, where are you, God? Like, how did we, of all people, end up here? Same kind of thing we were talking about earlier. It had to be true of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Luke goes on. He says in verse 8, Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as a priest before God. He was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Now, this would have been a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for Zechariah. I mean, there were around 18,000-ish priests in the Israelite uh, nation who served at the temple. And this meant that Zechariah was the one guy out of the 18,000 that were serving that got to go into the holy place of the temple and offer these sacrifices. This was a big deal. This was a high honor. Most of the 18,000 priests never got to do this in their lifetime. So to get chosen and be the one that gets to serve in this way was an extremely high honor. What would have happened is that Zechariah would have gone into the temple. He would have entered into the holy place, which is next to the holy of holies, the dwelling place of God. And, and he would have um, burned these special spices. And this, this aroma from the spices would have symbolized the prayers of the people of God rising to God himself. And while the incense was burning, Zechariah would have fallen on his knees and begun to pray. Luke points out that there were worshipers and people outside who were already praying while he was offering these sacrifices. And it, it makes you wonder, what were they praying for? They're going through these things. Luke's careful to mention that the people are outside praying. Zechariah's praying. Well, first, they would have been praying for God to just receive their offering that they were giving him in the moment. But the other thing is that they would have been praying for the redemption of Israel. Because, listen, this was a time when the entire Israelite nation was asking as a whole, God, where are you? How did we end up here? The reason being, the thing about this specific time that Luke is writing about, is that God had been relatively silent for about 400 years. If you read through the Old Testament, you see that God had shown up. He had rescued them from captivity, brought them out of captivity. But then after the prophet Malachi, it seemed like God just vanished. 400 years go by, and they're waiting. The Greeks have taken over. The Romans have taken over them. They're living under their rule and their reign, their oppression. Where are you, God? We're your chosen people. How could you let these people keep coming in and taking over us? How did we end up here? Whole nation is crying out, asking these things. So they would have been praying, God, 
redeem us. Show up as your people. Deliver us as your chosen people, your holy nation. So Zechariah's inside, he's burning incense, he's on his knees praying. People are outside on their knees praying to receive the offering for him to show up and deliver them. Do something about the situation that we're in. Look at what Luke says happens next. Verse 11, then the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. What an incredible moment, right? I mean, to be one of the 18,000 priests to get to offer the sacrifices in the first place, the honor of going in and the special feeling that he would have to just be able to participate that and then to have an angel show up and talk to you and scare the doo-doo out of you right i mean it always happens right when angels show up which it would probably any of us um it grips him with fear but he says hey zechariah it's okay it's understandably understandable that you're scared but but you don't have to worry I bring good news, right? He says, your prayer has been answered. What prayer? Was it the prayers that he would have been offering for him to have a son? All the prayers that him and Elizabeth had prayed over all the years for him to give them a son? Was it the prayers that he was offering for God to accept his offering for them to deliver, for him to deliver Israel? I mean, what prayer was it? Well, certainly, because of what we're told in the very next sentence, we know that it was the first. I mean, the angel did specifically say that they would have a son, but perhaps there was more to it than just that. Perhaps what he's saying here isn't just that your prayer for a son has been answered, but maybe another prayer has been answered. And I think we'll begin to see that and see it a lot more clearly as we go on so let's keep plugging along verse 14 says he will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the lord he is never to take wine or other fermented drink and he will be filled with the holy spirit even before he is born now he wasn't told to never drink alcohol or um, wine because there's something necessarily wrong with it because it's a sin to drink alcohol. It's not what the Bible communicates. Overindulgence of alcohol is what it communicates as being a sin. Nowhere in the Bible are we told not to drink alcohol, but not to the drink to the point where we are drunk and that it controls us. His point in saying this was that John was consecrated for the Lord. He, had a, he, he was born into this world for a special purpose. Now, we're not told exactly what that is here, but later on in chapter 1, we will see that he was born to be a prophet, that he was filled with the Holy Spirit for God to speak through him to his people. And so this is what happened in that moment and what he was told about the situation so far and who John would be. But he continues to go on and tell even more about this son that he was going to have in verse 16. 
Look what he says there. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. John was being born to Zechariah and Elizabeth to prepare people for the coming of the Lord, for the coming of Jesus himself, the, the eternal son of God that was going to leave the glory and the riches of heaven and wrap himself, squeeze himself, if you will, into humanity, into a human body, be born into this world to deliver his people and redeem his people and rescue them. And listen, preparations had to be made for his coming. And John was his chosen instrument to prepare his people for the sending of his son. And so one of the things that we begin to see is that it wasn't just the prayers of Zechariah that Zechariah and Elizabeth had prayed for a son. John was also an answer to a bigger prayer of the beginning of the redemption of the people of Israel and really the entire world. Zechariah has some doubts. <laughs> He's being told this. Angel of the Lord shows up. Probably doesn't happen every day. Probably take it to the bank that what he's telling you is true. But he has some doubts. Verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? <laughs> okay, Zechariah, there's an angel standing right there in front of you, but... You know, how, how can I be sure that this is really going to happen here, right? So how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, he says, and my wife is well along in years. Now, I do want to point out just rather quickly, especially to the men who are married in the room, that he points out that he is an old man, but that his wife is just well along in years just trying to help you out there apparently we can get some good practical marriage advice even in uh, luke's gospel here of telling us about the birth of john the baptist and his son so you're old she's just well along in years or better yet just don't even touch that one um but seriously have you ever tried to do what what zachariah's doing here i mean i have right you you're, you're asking the lord for direction about some things you're you're wanting him to speak into certain things in your life or what direction it is that you're moving and you begin to sense maybe he's talking to you but then you ask for confirmation Right, God, will you give me a sign? I just want you to, I feel like you're telling me to go this way in this, but I need a sign. I need some confirmation. I think we've all probably done that, and I, I get that, again, if it's you and I, right? Because we can confuse our voice with, uh, or the Lord's voice with our fleshly voice or what the world is saying to us that we should do or what someone else is telling us to do. But again, there's an angel standing right in front of him that had appeared and told him to i think that's pretty much the sign in and of itself and that's really what the angel kind of goes on to say in verse 19 the angel said to him listen i am gabriel i stand in the presence of god and i have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news i am the sign right verse 20 though and now you will be silent and not be able to or not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true 
at their appointed time. And so he, he got his sign. It just wasn't probably the sign that he was looking for because now he was going to not be able to speak for about the next eight or nine months. And it wasn't just that he couldn't speak. We found out later in the chapter that he was deaf too. I'm thinking, Lord, you could have given me another sign rather than doing this, but this is the way it plays out. Luke goes on in verse 21 and says, Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah. While all this was happening out there, they're waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed in the temple so long. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. Verse 23, when his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. So God does show up. He follows through on his promise that he sent the, Gabriel, uh, sent the angel Gabriel to tell him about. And we even see here in verse 25 that Elizabeth does recognize this is something that he has done for her. Now, I think that's really important. I honestly think that's really striking. I think you should underline that. I think you should highlight that and make note of that so that you and I don't forget this. Why is this such a big deal? Because you know and I know that God ultimately sent John the Baptist into this world to prepare the people for the coming of Jesus Christ, his son. I mean, what God was up to in sending John the Baptist was preparing people for the greatest work that would ever be accomplished in the history of the world. The God of the universe would show up and be born as a man. He would go to the cross. He would take all the sins of the entire world. He would pay for the entirety of all the sins that had ever been committed, that people were committing right then, and all the sins of the future. He would die for them. He would be raised from the dead. He would defeat the power of sin and death forever and offer the free gift of salvation to anyone who would receive it by faith. I mean, this was the huge ultimate purpose of what God was up to in sending John into the world to prepare people for his coming, and yet Luke takes time to mention here in his gospel that this was also a work that God did at the same time just for Elizabeth. Think about how striking that is. Luke has gathered all of this information, talked to all these eyewitnesses, started ordering. Do you know how much time that probably took? And now he's trying to put it together in this account to declare and tell people then and for all time who Jesus really is. And his whole point in bringing up John the Baptist was to talk about he was the precursor to what God was going to do to redeem the entire world. And Luke says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I would say, God says to Luke, be sure to include when you tell them about my son Jesus you're telling them about John the Baptist, what I did for Elizabeth too. That means so much to me. I don't know what that does to you, but to know that the God of the universe who is sending his son in to rescue the entire world was at the same time doing something 
for one of his kids just to be a blessing to her. She said, the Lord has done this for me. No, he didn't, Elizabeth. He, he did this to rescue the entire uh, humanity, right? To, to, to break through the darkness and redeem people from the darkness and the sin and, and the world that was broken here. And yet, she says, he, he did it for me to remove my disgrace from among the people. And the Lord made sure that we knew about it. When you and I go through hurts, when you go through disappointments, when you go through those times where you're going, where are you, God? How did I get here? They were in a place where God had been silent for 400 years. Elizabeth went her entire life. She was very old, we were told. Day in and day out with guilt and shame. Where are you, God? 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 Evidently, he knew what he was doing. Evidently, he was at work. She just hadn't seen it. God is at work in ways that you and I may not see when we're walking through those times where we're doubting God, where we're struggling, where we're wondering what it is that he is up to. And so my hope and prayer as we continue to look at the Christmas story, and we're pointing to this birth of Jesus that we won't miss, that buried in the Christmas story about Jesus who was coming to redeem the world is a story about how God also took care of a need of one of his own kids and shows us that he is able to do things at a level where he is doing big, eternal, kingdom-minded things and moving the whole world along in some way according to his purposes, but at the same time able to see you and know you and what you're going through and is at work doing something even in the middle of your doubt, your struggle, and your disappointment and your pain. Know that today. Lean on him today as you walk through that or when you go into those times and you're reminded about the Christmas story.